Hello, and welcome to the Challenge Flag Podcast, where we are going to put your fantasy season under review. I'm your commissioner and host, Blake Watson. Alongside me is my co-commissioner and co-host, RJ Beecher. Much like every Challenge Flag that Mike McCarthy throws, I am really excited to waste your time on this podcast. That's right, and that's exactly what we plan to do. We plan to take about 30 minutes to an hour of your week every week to fill your head with useless knowledge that you will never use again, at least not with sophisticated people and polite society. So with that, I just want to let you guys know that we will be doing weekly breakdowns of matchups. We will be reviewing previous weeks. We'll be going over trades, waiver wires, information like that. But this week is a special episode, not only because it's our first episode, but we are breaking down the 2022 Professional Football League draft. Before we get into that, I'm going to let RJ speak a few words to you. Yeah, thanks, Blake. The primary reason we want to record this podcast is to make the league fun. So we're going we're gonna to make some jokes. We're going to poke fun at people. But the intent of this is not to attack anyone or try to make anyone feel bad. We want this to be in good fun. We just hope that you go into it with uh, you know, your sense of humor on and be prepared to laugh at yourself a little bit, but also prepared to laugh at the other people in the league. We just want to kind of say that up front. And if there are any concerns there or anything that is said that you, you, you know, have taken issue with that uh, may have crossed a line or anything, but if we miss up, miss something or mess up, we just encourage y'all to, to say something. We'd rather that be aired out in the open and us learn from our mistakes than for, you know, anything that's kind of said here, that's supposed to be in jest that could you know, break down relationships or any friendships that we have here. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. First and foremost, this is a, a league that's supposed to be fun and secondly, competitive. So while it's very fun to, to make jokes at each other, it's not always the most fun when jokes are made at your expense. But that being said, I'm sure there are plenty of jokes that will be made at the expense of RJ and myself too. But now to get into the more fun, less serious topics, we are going to jump into breaking down draft grades. Before that, though, we got a word from our presenting sponsor. RJ, I, I got a quick question for you. What's that? Alongside football and a nice cold beer, what's the best thing you can think of on a Sunday? Oh, I don't know. Nachos? Not quite nachos, but in the, the same ballpark of mediocre football foods, you can have your very own Austin Steaks. That's right. Austin Steaks is mid-quality Texas-raised longhorn cattle. It's grass-fed and live-fed steak that is best cooked over a gaslit grill. Fresh slaughtered every Saturday by Texas farmers, bears, horny toads, and the guys who fall started on the Oregon Trail. These steaks are tender, soft, and unable to accept well-deserved criticism from the national media. Use promo code WE'REBACK for 57.56% off your first order. Mention that the challenge flag sent you and Austin Stakes has offered to throw in two complimentary bottles of their famous seasoning flavors, Disappointment and Overrated. Please note this offer only lasts until the University of Texas has a 10-win season or produces a player draft in the first seven rounds of the NFL draft limited to one use per year. Even though you're likely tasting defeat on Saturday, you can be sure to taste mediocrity any other day of the week. Austin Stakes, please don't make us go to the SEC. Well, that is wonderful. And we are very appreciative for Austin Stakes throwing us a bone and giving us that first sponsorship dollar. 
With that, we're going to go ahead and jump into what you all came here for, which is draft grades. And we do want to say up front with this that we are ranking these a certain way. We did put an order to it. But as many of you know, and as Fuller will continuously tell you every single year, we are often wrong. We are more often than not wrong. And to emphasize that point, I would like to read you a text message conversation between Blake and myself. Blake says, that's true. For whatever reason, the one that gets the most attention is CD. And he's the third receiver on his team, to which I responded, Jerry Judy should be far and away the number one rookie receiver in terms of fantasy, followed by Regor at number two. Blake then responded, I'd swap them. Regor is competing with Ertz, and that's it. Plus, he has the better QB. The next phrase I responded here, just is only competing with Kant, though, so clearly these really high level and elevated takes caused me to have a stroke as I sent that text message. But I followed it up by saying, Drew Locke will be good in two years. Blake responded with, no doubt in two years, Judy will be better. Honestly, maybe even one year. And I finished the conversation off with a solid, I would agree. So I, I read this conversation to emphasize that Blake and I have no freaking clue what we're talking about. And while we may have nailed the, the Jalen Rager being the best of those three receivers, everything else was wrong. So again, this is just what, what Blake, myself, and Jordan kind of discussed at way too late in the evening. It is probably going to be wrong, but we still like to do it. We find it to be fun and, you know, we'll see how it goes. And with that, we would like to welcome our first ever guest on the challenge flag, Mr. Jordan Robbins. All right, what's up, everybody? I'm Jordan. You all know me pretty good at fantasy football I'd say but happy to be on the podcast first guest it is an honor let's get this going welcome Jordan we're certainly excited to have you and just wanted to give you a quick thank you for hanging back with me and RJ to go ahead and give your input and help grade this draft we use three graders every year just to help break ties and to to get one more opinion on these draft grades so now we'll go ahead and we'll read through the grades and the rankings We've ranked everyone in order from one to 10. So I'll give you your ranking and followed by the letter grade at the end. <clears throat> so we'll start with 10, work our way up to one. Number 10, we have Raj Landry. He's coming in at a C, followed by number nine, Ethan Woods with a C plus grade. Number eight is Matthew Beicher, B minus. Number seven, Michael Costa, B minus. Number six, Blake Fuller, B. Number five, Drew Kulas, B. Number four, Christian Risk, the defending champion with a B plus. Number three is RJ Beecher with an A minus. Number two is Blake Watson with an A minus. And your number one drafter for the 2022 season is Jordan Robbins coming in at an A. It hurts. It hurts us to, to put Jordan at number one. It really does. Believe me, this was not an easy decision. But we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that. What we're going to do from, from this point forward, we're going to walk through each team one by one, give a quick recap of how their draft went do an overview of our initial thoughts of that, that team as a whole, what, what we see weakness-wise, what sets them apart and differentiates them from the other teams in our league. 
and we'll have some additional commentary from the other people here. The important thing to note here, guys, is that this was far and away the hardest draft to rank. All of these teams were, were super, super close. The fact that a defense was not taken into the second to last round is a freaking miracle. I'm so proud of, of y'all for, for learning how to draft like adults. I'm looking at you, Fuller. With that, we're going to get into it. Again, take these with a grain of salt. And I believe Blake is going to kick us off with the first analysis. And instead of going from, from bottom to top, we're going to go from top to bottom. That's right. So we'll uh, we'll go ahead and jump into Jordan's team here. So Jordan's first two picks were Justin Jefferson at the 1.6 and Alvin Kamara at the 2.5. We have Joe Burrow at the 3.6, Lenny Fournette for 5, Keenan Allen, Kirk Cousins, Marquise Brown, and George Kittle. In the ninth round, we have Cordero Patterson, followed by Adam Thielen, Devin Singletary, Kadarius Toney, and J.D. McKissick. And then finally, the defense. In the final round, we have the Los Angeles Rams. So looking at this team, what really stood out to us was having uh, two potential wide receiver ones in Justin Jefferson and Keenan Allen and still not sacrificing value at the running back position, taking Alvin Kamara, who, if it weren't for his legal situation, would likely be taken if not in the first round, then at the turn of the 1-2. Getting him at the 2-5 is, is a pretty solid value. And then Lenny Fournette in the fourth round, I don't know if it was the speculation about his weight or the rumors about Tom Brady not being back in Tampa, but he falls all the way to the 4-5 where Jordan's able to scoop him up. So that pairing of Kamara and Fournette with Jefferson and Allen makes for a great running back and receiver duo. Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins rounding out the quarterback position. You're likely looking at two of the top 12 quarterbacks in Superflex, which is great playing this format to have both of those guys. And then the tight end position, it's hard to say whether or not he has a positional advantage with George Kittle, given that Trey Lance is the quarterback. But if George Kittle ends up being the safety blanket there in San Francisco, then we could be looking at a, a potential league winner in the tight end positional advantage. The depth is decent at running back with Cordero, Devin Singletary, and J.D. McKissick. Now, having Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, and Kirk Cousins on one team makes it seem like he's maybe a little bit dependent on Minnesota. So, RJ, before we move on, I just wanted to get your impressions of, of Jordan's team here. Overall, I think if you go wide receiver early in a super flex draft, that's always going to be a risk because we know about running back scarcity. We know about the value of super flex and quarterbacks. I think what Jordan did here and the reason why we had him ranked so high is this is honestly as good as you can start when you go receiver. I mean, he gets the guy that I perceive to be the number one receiver in Justin Jefferson. He follows it up with an Alvin Kamara who, you know, in my personal opinion is severely undervalued because of the potential legal issues that are looming that, that are probably going to be passed off to next year. So he gets an RB one and an RB two price Burrow, I, I have my concerns with him, but at that value, I can't argue with it. It's it's great value on Burrow. And then again, to get Lenny falling there, he he somehow managed to get an RB1, RB2 pairing while still going wide receiver in the first round. So the start of the draft is is honestly tremendous from, from what you could hope for there. It's overall really, really solid. You know, Patterson, Singletary, McKissick aren't the most exciting players. So there's there's limited upside there at the back end of the running back spot. Same thing with, with you know, with the Thielen. He's got a good balance between upside and consistency here. 
I just overall have a hard time finding holes in this team. It's very solidly built, in my opinion. I'm a big fan of it. Good deal. Well, with that, we'll go ahead. We'll move on to the number two team. So the next team we're going to look at is Blake Watson's. The 1-7, he's got Austin Eckler, followed by Jalen Hurts, Aaron Jones, Michael Pittman at the 4-4, A.J. Brown, Cortland Sutton, Gabe Davis at the 7-7, Damian Pierce, Rashad Penny, Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston at the 11-7, Daryl Henderson, Dawson Knox, and the Indianapolis Colts. So overall, what we see with this team is tremendous running back depth. The pairing of Eckler-Jones with a high upside piece in Pierce that we all have heard the hype about, Rashad Penny, who might run away with the running back one job while Kenneth Walker is recovering from his surgery, and a Daryl Henderson who potentially could take over the backfield in L.A. at a super discounted price. There's a lot to love with the running back core. Receiver-wise, we have an unproven receiver at the number one spot in Michael Pittman. He looked great last year. He's got great separation statistics. He could take that next step. He's a lot of people's breakout candidate. I love the player. There is just that slight bit of risk with him being the wide receiver one. I think it's going to work out. But he's also got that paired with an A.J. Brown who came at a tremendous value. Cortland Sutton, who's going to be the number one receiver, likely in a Russell Wilson-led offense. Gabe Davis, who's got Josh Allen throwing him the football, and Michael Thomas. There's not a true alpha that we've seen in fantasy past in that receiver court, but there is a lot of upside, a lot of youth, and a lot to love. I love the Hertz pick, like ripped my heart out by doing that. And he's got that pair with Jameis Winston, who I, I think is a safe pick there, a good floor guy. Jameis is not the Jameis of old. He can still sling the football, but he is a little bit more scaled back of himself. He's got a little bit of a higher floor, a little bit of a lower ceiling. He's not a bad super flex there. Not the best, not the worst. The only real fault I can find with this team is Dawson Knox. Blake waited for that that really late tight end pick, and that is okay. I think in this situation, I was much higher on a guy like Cole Komet than I was on Dawson Knox. That's personal preference, but what we can't argue with this team is that Blake has the weakest tight end aside from Raj, and we all know where Raj is ranked when it comes to power rankings. So top to bottom, that's Blake's team. I'd like to get, Jordan, your opinion on Blake's team. Do you do you really see any huge weaknesses here, any holes in this roster? Uh, it's hard, hard to find a lot of holes. Perhaps the quarterback position could be cause for concern just with the volatility. And both players that we've mentioned that as quarterbacks with Jalen Hurts and Jameis Winston, if you think about them, they're, they're known for having high upside, and then they can also have a pretty low floor. So that pairing together could have some spike weeks, but also could leave him open for some down weeks, especially if Jameis isn't quite as steady as we're hoping he's going to become in his role in New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. Any other things you want to hit on with this team, Jordan? The three-pack that he got near the mid to late end of the rounds with Damian Pierce, Rashad Penny, and with Michael Thomas, is really interesting. It provides some high upside potential, even if just one of them hits and can provide a lot of return on his investment in those later rounds. I think that that brings a lot of upside to his team. With that, we're going to go ahead and hand it back over to Blake to walk us through our next team. And I will go right over to my co-commissioner's team, RJ Beecher, coming in at the number three spot. 
So R.J. Beecher had a running back fall to him at the 1-3 with Jonathan Taylor, followed by Joe Mixon and Russell Wilson at the 3-3. A three-pack of receivers, Mike Evans, Mike Williams at the 5-3, and Allen Robinson at the 6-8, followed by Chase Edmonds, Jerry Judy, T.J. Hawkinson, before taking his second quarterback, Justin Fields, at the 10-8. A two-pack of running backs with Miles Sanders at the 11-3 and Jalen Robinson at the 12-8. Mac Jones, the third quarterback off the board for RJ at the 13-3 and a defense with the Denver Broncos in the 14th round. So looking at RJ's team, I know RJ was very excited to have Jonathan Taylor fall back to him at the 1-3. He has perhaps the strongest running back duo in the league with Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon. Very, very, very high floor players. The ceiling for Jonathan Taylor may be a little bit higher than the ceiling for Joe Mixon, but we don't know. Last year, Joe Burrow was ridiculously efficient, meaning that Joe Mixon could potentially see more touches if we don't see a repeat in that efficiency. Russell Wilson finds himself in a new position in Denver, perhaps a better one with still great receivers in Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, but just a a better situation overall. With, with that Denver offense and defense pairing. The three-pack of receivers I thought was very interesting. His wide receiver one is Mike Evans, followed by Mike Williams and Allen Robinson. So a lot of very, very high touchdown-dependent receivers with Mike Williams especially and Mike Evans, and then a former top-10 receiver in Allen Robinson who we could see a revival of, just like we saw with Cooper Cup in Los Angeles. Chase Edmonds at the 7-3 I thought was a great pick to back up his already incredibly strong running back duo of Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon. Chase Edmonds from offseason reports sounds to be the runaway favorite for the uh, number one job for the season. It could potentially be a running back by committee, but all reports seem to indicate that Chase Edmonds is going to be the guy. And then he paired Jerry Judy at the 8-8. That's a great stack with Russell Wilson. The... Experts seem to be convinced that Cortland Sutton is going to be the number one receiver there in Denver, but that's what everyone thought about Robert Woods last year. So if Jerry Judy gets paired with Russell Wilson and he ends up being the number one, we could potentially see something similar to the Matthew Stafford Cooper Cup connection that we saw in Los Angeles. Probably not as great of an extent, but it feels eerily similar to what we saw with the Robert Woods and Cooper Cup situation. TJ Hawkinson in the ninth round is great. I know that I personally had him as my end of that mid to upper tier, tight end tier. I know that he's probably the last guy that you'd feel comfortable taking with before the last two rounds. Justin Fields, he obviously provides you know great rushing upside, but that Chicago offense is pretty putrid. It's hard to get super, super excited about Justin Fields but backing him up with Mac Jones provides a little bit more floor. So Jordan, I want to get your thoughts on this team, taking a look at his, his great running back strength and the rest of his roster constructed behind that. Where are your areas of concern and, and what do you really like about this team? I mean, I'll start with the things I like. Two big things that jumped out to me was, of course, the running back strength, taking back-to-back top-end running backs, but then I really like the balance that he was able to find in his wide receivers by finding kind of a high-end, steady wide receiver one with Mike Evans. And then anything that he might lack in an ultimate ceiling could be found with the pairing with Mike Williams. And then it, especially if Allen Robinson can 
return on investment, like a lot of people are predicting, then that's going to be a strong core as well. The biggest area for concern, and I think RJ and all of us can see this, would be the Justin Fields position. Now, maybe Mac Jones can help him out there, but in in my estimation, that's going to be a thorn in his side until he can find a good, steady quarterback two to fill that position, or unless Justin Fields kind of surprises all of us and steps up to the task. I think I'd agree with you there. I know personally, having Justin Fields last year, there were games where he single-handedly lost me the week. And so having another quarterback to fill in that spot in case Justin Fields flops, other than that, though, I, I think this is a very strong team. So moving away from RJ's team, we'll go ahead and move to number four, and RJ will give you the breakdown for Chris Risk's team. So with Chris, we start off at the quarterback position with Justin Herbert at the 1-5, followed by DeAndre Swift, C.D. Lamb, James Conner before double-dipping at quarterback with Trey Lance at the 5-5. Then we have a run of Brandon Cooks, Darren Waller, Rashad Bateman, Kareem Hunt, and Elijah Moore at the 10-6, Drake London, Jamal Williams, George Pickens, and the San Francisco 49ers. So overall, I mean, there's, there's just this is a solid team. I think when you go quarterback with your first round pick, you're really going to be looking for that steady running back in the second round. And he gets that in DeAndre Swift. There are injury concerns with him, but when Swift plays, he's an efficient back that will be consistent in fantasy football. Then he gets his his alpha number one receiver with C.D. Lamb. Maybe there's some concerns there. C.D. hasn't really shown us he's a wide receiver one to date yet, but that is an offense devoid of targets and a lot of them, are going to go to CD. I think getting James Conner as your RB2 here is a great. Conner is, again, mild injury concern. I don't know if I love the two, the pairing there. However, these are two running backs. When they're on the field, they produce. Swift plays from behind. He catches footballs. It's going to be great PPR. Conner plays for a great offense, and he's going to get a ton of action there. Trey Lance is the upgraded version of Justin Fields. Trey Lance has all of the weapons in the world around him. He plays a very similar style to Justin Fields. He just is set up for success. So if Lance does what we think he's capable of doing, this could be a slam dunk of a pick. Overall, it's just the rushing upside, the explosiveness paired with Herbert. This could be great. It is a risk at the Superflex spot, though. I love Brandon Cooks. He's got a super high floor. He's not the strongest wide receiver, too, in my opinion. Waller has the potential to reclaim his old form. Bateman's an upside pick. Kareem Hunt steady. Elijah Moore has upside. Drake London has upside. Jamal Williams is going to get action, and he's the handcuff to Swift. And Pickens has upside. This is just a solid team, y'all. It, it's just overall, there's not a lot of holes to poke here. If I had to poke one, it'd probably be that wide receiver two spot where I think Cooks probably slots in more as a flex than a wide receiver two. And the slight injury concern of the pairing of Swift and Connor, where if one of those guys breaks down, it could leave a major hole in this team. I think Chris has done a really great job constructing this one. If we get a great catch by Lance here, this team very well might look us, make us all look foolish and be the number one team by the end of the season. I'll go ahead and toss things over to Jordan. Jordan, with this team, I, I walked through it. And again, I, I really do have a hard time poking out a really big hole here. Do you see any major weaknesses with this team? Major weaknesses are hard to find. I think I agree with a lot of the statements that you mentioned, especially with Brandon Cooks having to fill the role of the wide receiver two spot. I remember whenever we were looking at this team right after the draft, the 
the biggest thing that jumped out to my mind, and it was hard to find, right, because I really do, do like this team, and he was sniping me all night, picking right before me. But the two biggest things that I saw were the question marks that I have for running back one and for wide receiver one. Having DeAndre Swift as running back one, I mean, that's tied to the Lions offense, and that's hard to put all your eggs in that basket. Now, he very well could be excellent and great and be a top three running back, and then that'll be great. But there are those question marks there that give me pause. And then pairing that with C.D. Lamb, a lot of us here are Cowboy fans, and I know Chris is, and we're all hoping for a great breakout season for C.D., but we haven't quite seen that, at least not sustainable across an entire season. So those question marks at both of the top end positions there are the only two things that really jump out to me as areas for concern. All right. Well, I'm going to hand things back off to Blake, and he's going to walk us through our next team. Coming in at number five was Drew Kulos. And again, this is the area in particular in the draft where it was really hard to distinguish in our rankings. Drew's coming in at five, starting with a quarterback as well, Lamar Jackson with the high rushing upside, followed by Dalvin Cook all the way at the 2-3, slipping into the, the front end of the second round. Went tight end positional advantage, Mark Andrews at the 3-8. Tyreek Hill at the 4-3, followed by Brees Hall, DJ Moore, Elijah Mitchell, and Chris Godwin at the 8-3. Antonio Gibson fell to him in the ninth round, followed by Matt Ryan for his quarterback two, Tyler Lockett at the 11-8, and the handcuff to Dalvin Cook he takes Alexander Madison at the 12-3. He takes the second defense off the board, but the first real defense selected with the Buffalo Bills at the 13.8. And then Romeo Dubes or Dobbs or Dubs or whatever the hell you want to call him in the 14th round, Aaron Rodgers' potential number one receiver could be a great pick to round out the end of his draft. I think the big takeaway that we had was really just questions at the running back position. Dalvin Cook in the second round was a you know great pick and excellent values. Kind of hard to believe that Dalvin Cook made it all the way to the 2-3 the tight end positional advantage with Mark Andrews really stuck out. So even though Tyree Kill is the wide receiver one on Drew's team, and we don't really know how we feel about Tyree Kill, Mark Andrews kind of serves as that wide receiver one position because we know he's going to get the volume in Baltimore. We know that he's going to be a standout and competing with other tight ends on a weekly basis. He's going to give Drew pretty much the advantage every week, with the exception of when maybe he goes up against Fisher and Kelsey. Brees Hall at the 5'8 is his running back two. I think I speak for everyone here when I say that's our biggest concern, just because Brees Hall hasn't been named the starter in New York yet. We don't know when he's going to take over that role or if he's going to take over that role. DJ Moore is the wide receiver two, is another excellent pick. Baker coming in, that's the best quarterback he's ever played with, and we could see a great boost in production for DJ Moore and maybe he'll actually score some touchdowns this year with a competent quarterback. Chris Godwin at the 8-3 is also great whenever he returns from injury. He could emerge as the if not the number 1 then the 1B in Tampa Bay. Elijah Mitchell and Antonio Gibson provide a little bit of depth. Antonio Gibson seems a little bit more stable with the injury to Brian Robinson, the unfortunate injury and the, the horrible news. We're hoping for a speedy recovery there, but Drew looks like he's capitalized and, and picked up a starting running back in the ninth round. The handcuff with Alexander Madison 
is, of course, a very safe play and a very smart play as we expect Alvin Cook to miss two to three games pretty much every year, whether that's for maintenance or for injury. It, it's almost a guarantee that Dalvin Cook's going to sit out a couple of weeks. Overall, it's a very solid team construction with just some questions at the running back position that that Drew obviously tried to address, but we're not exactly wild about the the running back two position here. So, Jordan, with that, I want to get your opinion on what you thought of the high points and low points of Drew's team. First of all, it's hard to evaluate Drew's team because they don't have the normal smattering of Packers that I'm used to seeing, but I think he blamed Matt Beischer for picking them all off. But anyways, I think the the most intriguing and highest upside thing that I see about Drew's team is the stack of the quarterback, wide receiver, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews. I think that that's going to offer a lot of upside week to week, and it, it's also going to be pretty safe, right? Like, Lamar's rushing is going to help him keep a nice high floor, and Mark Andrews is just a really solid, I mean, excellent tight end that has a high probability of finishing in the top two if not the number one tight end overall but then there's always the slight downside of them having an off week but I don't really see it I think it offers a lot of high upside as far as the areas of concern I think we touched on it already it would be Tyreek Hill as wide receiver one I mean we're used to seeing him as excellent in Kansas City but he's jumping over to a new team he's tied to Tua so we're hoping for for good things but It'll be interesting to see how it actually plays out on the field. I'm afraid to play Drew this season, but I think he'll have a good team. Yeah, almost certainly. The, you know, there is a very high floor here, and, and Drew's never really a, a team that you want to run into, but especially not when you have Lamar Jackson, Dalvin Cook, and Mark Andrews rounding out the top of your lineup. Three key positions to have a positional advantage, and you know, Drew nailed all of them. So with that, I think we're going to have to say thank you to Jordan as Jordan has some responsibilities significantly more important than fantasy football to tend to. Again, thank you for for hanging back with me and RJ, grading the draft, giving your input and your insight, and joining us as the first guest on the Challenge Flag podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been fun. Appreciate the opportunity to collude with the three of us last night to make sure we got the three highest draft picks. And I uh, really thank you for your time and looking forward to this podcast for the rest of the season. Thanks, Jordan. All right. So our next stop is quite possibly the the team that I'm most scared to evaluate, uh, simply because I know in some way, shape or form, I will look incredibly foolish at the end of the season. But we're going to look at Blake Fuller's team. Now, when I initially took my first glance at this team, I said it was going to be in the middle. And I'll, I'll get into more details why, but it, that's exactly where Blake landed. So Blake started things off with King Henry. Then went for Patty Mahomes, Debo Samuel, and then Javante Williams at the 4-2, followed by Jalen Waddell, Amon Ross St. Brown, Dalton Schultz, Trevor Lawrence at the 8-2, DeAndre Hopkins, Kenneth Walker the third at 10-2, Traylon Burks, and James Cook, followed by the Dallas Cowboys defense, and Michael Gallup. So from top to bottom, I look at this roster, and I see just an outrageous amount of potential. King Henry can be the number one running back. Patrick Mahomes can be the number one quarterback. Debo Samuel can be the number one receiver. Javante Williams, one of the greatest upside picks that people have chosen this year. Waddle could take a step forward in the second year. Amonra, same thing. However, there's a lot of ifs here. And I just think that this is the epitome of a boom-bust team, a risk-reward team, 
however you want to talk about it, there is a ton of upside here, but the downside is tremendous. Derrick Henry could not fully recover from that foot injury. Big men and foot injuries tend to not mix. He could get hurt again. Patrick Mahomes seemed to regress last year. Now Tyreek Hill is gone. Does he continue that trend? Is is it possible for Debo to replicate the incredible season he had last year? I think it's unlikely, personally. Javante is going to be in a timeshare with Melvin Gordon. Maybe he establishes himself as the clear back, which I believe he should, but maybe that takes a little bit of time. Waddle could play second fiddle to Tyreek Hill. Tua may not be able to utilize those weapons like he should. Amonra had a great stretch at the end of last year, but do you really want to put your faith in a Detroit Lion? And at, as we're talking about Amon Ra, have to point out here that this pick was a bit of a reach at this spot. I understand the notion of going to get your guys, but this one was across tiers. There were several guys in front of Amon Ra I think I would have rather had personally, looking at like Cortland Sutton, Abreda Cooks, and Alan Robinson. But I do respect if you've got a guy, you go get him. I just need to emphasize that it is kind of a reach at that spot. Looking at, you know, Schultz is, is going to be fine. I, I don't really have an issue there. I think Schultz will produce. Lawrence, I, I like to group Lawrence, Lance, and Fields all together, where I feel like Lawrence has probably the safest floor of the three, but the, the the lowest upside. So they kind of all come with a similar level of risk where they were they none of them looked great last year. And to to bank on that as a super flex is a risk. And that's not unheard of, but when we talk about this team being loaded with risk, I just you know, I see it at every level of the team. And then you also have two bench spots being taken up by DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Gallup, who are not going to play for at least one to two weeks for Gallup, six weeks guaranteed for Hopkins. There's a there's wasted depth there. And I mean, if, if Javante doesn't work out or if Henry gets hurt, do you want to start Kenneth Walker? Do you want to start James Cook? There's no running back depth there. So it, it's just like, it's so top heavy at the running back position. The risk level is so high. If they hit, this team could be awesome. Could be so, so good. But if they miss, I mean, the floor is, is last place. And that's why I put it dead in the middle. Is like, it can go either direction. I don't know what to do with it. It's just a lot of upside and a lot of da- downside. But Blake, I'll, I'll, I'll stop my rant here and kind of pass it off to you. What, what are your thoughts overall on, on Blake's team? You know, I, I think you pretty much saw summarized exactly what I was thinking. The best way that I can describe this team is that it is the exact opposite of Christian Risk's team. When you look at a team like Chris, you have a lot of questions when it comes to the ceiling and the upside, but you have a tremendously high floor. I imagine yesterday when Christian's video was cutting in and out, he was putting his safety vest on to make his draft selections, whereas Fuller might as well have been setting his own shirt on fire because the floor on a lot of these players is non-existent. You know, he, he could be riding high to a fantasy championship on the back of Debo Samuel, Javante Williams, Jalen Waddle, but he could also be falling into a pit of despair. Yeah, it, it's just a, it's an interesting team construction overall. It's a swing for the fences kind of pick. This is not the sort of team you construct if you're Michael Costa and you're in perpetual chances of eating waffles like your life depended on it. This is this is a, a home run swing here. So it'll be really interesting to see if this one pays off per Fuller here. Yeah, I, I agree. So jumping into our next team, Michael Costa's team, which is constructed very differently from Fuller. 
with Michael, we start out with the one-one overall, Josh Allen, the safe high floor pick in a super flex league, followed by his receivers, Stephon Diggs, and then Devontae Adams and Travis Etienne and Ezekiel Elliott coming in the third through fifth round. After that, Michael filled his super flex position with Derek Carr at the 6'10", J.K. Dobbins at the 7-1, Dallas Goddard at the 8-10. And then from there on, he went Juju Smith-Schuster, Alan Lazard, Harris, Daniel Jones, Olave, and Cole Komet to end the draft. So he never drafted a defense, which is a strategy I know Michael is a big fan of and has implored for years. Looking at the team, I think it's safe to say that our obvious concern is the running back position, anchored by Travis Etienne and Ezekiel Elliott. Whichever way you want to flip that, call Etienne the one, call Elliott the one. Hell, you can call Dobbins the one if you want. I, I don't know that we exactly feel confident with that running back core. I personally believe Etienne has great upside, whereas Ezekiel Elliott is more of the floor play. And then J.K. Dobbins, we just don't know what to expect with the injury news, with the potential running back by committee. Baltimore brings in Mike Davis. Baltimore has Gus Edwards there already, who may or may not play this season. Reports indicate, depending on who you ask, if you ask the experts that reports indicate that uh, J.K. Dobbins is probably not fully returned to where he was pre-injury. But if you ask J.K. Dobbins, then you'll get a much more explicit response than that. And he seems to believe that he is ready to go for week one. I guess we'll see. I think you'll know pretty quickly, very early on, what you've got there with J.K. and Travis Etienne. As far as Zeke goes, uh, Jerry Jones has been very vocal that Zeke is going to be the guy in Dallas. You can feel safe that you'll get 10 points a week from Ezekiel Elliott maybe on a on a bad week rushes for 60 yards no touchdown you're looking at six points a week there's just not a super high ceiling with Zeke like there was when he was a rookie or you know second third year in the league the area of great strength here is the double stack at the quarterback wide receiver positions you got Josh Allen paired with his number one and Stephon Diggs you also have Derek Carr paired with his number one in Devontae Adams. So really what it looks like Michael's season is going to come down to is touchdowns from that quarterback and receiver duo, or, or both of those quarterback and receiver duos. The weeks where Stephon Diggs scores two touchdowns, it's almost a guaranteed win for Michael. You're looking at 10 points per touchdown just because of that stack. And same goes for Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams ends up being the same receiver in Las Vegas as he was in Green Bay, then this team could surprise a lot of people and run away with definitely the division lead and could likely make a deep run in the playoffs. It will almost guarantee that he does not end up spending an entire day in the Waffle House if Devontae Adams is the type of receiver that we know he can be. So RJ, just taking a quick look at this roster, I wanted to get your opinion. What do you think of going with the double stack strategy and how do you think this running back course tags up compared to the rest of the league? Yeah, the double stack is, is certainly interesting. I think I would have a lot more cause for concern if one of those stacks wasn't Josh Allen. Josh Allen is the safest player in fantasy football, and that's why he goes at the 1-1 here. Josh Allen's been the number one quarterback two years running. So this guy is going to be great. He's going to score points, and he's going to throw touchdowns. I think we were all disappointed by Diggs's production last year. But I do feel like there's there's some positive regression that's going to happen there. 
he was getting keyed on, but like that first year that Allen and, and Diggs hooked up, they were, they were killing it. That stack's going to work out for him. Now the car Adams stack is a little bit more risky. I think we've all been burned by Carr before. I, I really like Derek Carr. He just hasn't really produced that fantasy consistency that we're looking for. We're banking on, on Carr kind of taking a step forward, even though he's been in the league a number of years. Adams might help him get there, but Keep in mind, Derek Carr is the same guy who would support Waller as the tight end one and produce with Waller. Like Carr still wasn't putting up ridiculous points, even though Waller was. That's the biggest risk I see with the double stack. So we'll see how it plays out. It's a lot banking on on these two teams. Now, when it when we're looking at the running back core here, I think Ezekiel Elliott is a little undervalued. And I, I know we have differing opinions here, Blake, but people forget that. Zeke catches several passes a game for the Cowboys. And we're talking about uh, an offensive line that is beat up on for Dallas. No Tyron Smith. You got a rookie starting at left tackle, potentially Jason Peters in a couple weeks. Dak's not going to have all the time in the world to look downfield. And if teams are keying on CD, he's going to be looking for short outlet passes on those plays. A lot of those are going to go to Dalton Schultz. And a lot of those are going to go to Tony Pollard out of the slot and Ezekiel Elliott running out of the backfield. I wouldn't be shocked if Zeke's floor is a little bit higher than we're thinking of it here because he might catch four balls a game for 20 yards, and that gives him your six points right there. You pair that with your 60 rushing yards on the low end, that gives you a solid 12-point floor as your RB2, and I actually kind of like that at that RB2 spot. I have a lot more pause at Etienne. Etienne was one of my favorite targets at the beginning of the season. I think he's a tremendous athlete. It's just James Robinson is there. We can't ignore that fact. He, he's getting healthy. I think this coaching staff wants to use him. Etienne is going to be, in my mind, unless he comes out and just runs wild, I think he's going to be in more of that A.J. Dillon kind of role to an Aaron Jones. That's not a bad thing. AJ Dillon has his value and he's a talented football player, but I just don't know if that's the upside and what you need there at the running back one position. Yeah, I, I would agree. And and I think that the concern at running back, as far as the ceilings of the running backs, is why we have Michael ranked as low as we do. I think we are both in agreement that Josh Allen is the safest player in fantasy football that Stephon Diggs will produce more than he did last year. And, you know, assuming that the Derek Carr and Vontae Adams connection works as well as it did in college, then, you know, this team certainly has the capability of making a, a playoff run and, and a championship push. It's just the running back question leaves us pretty concerned. So with that, we'll go ahead and we'll jump into our next team here. Sure thing. So we have Mr. Two Defense himself, Matthew Byshirt. Going through his draft, we've got Cooper Cup at the 1-4, followed by Kelsey, Barkley, Aaron Rodgers, T. Higgins at the 5-4, A.J. Dillon, Tua, Darnell Mooney, Christian Kirk, Ramondre Stevenson at the 10-7, Naheem Hines, Robert Woods, the Green Bay Packers defense, and the New Orleans Saints defense. Immediately what we see here is that Matt, very much like Jordan, went wide receiver early. I don't like the way that it went after that. I understand the positional advantage of Kelsey, but when we really look at this, Kelsey's value is more of a back-end, top-end receiver when he's playing. You know, When he's scoring his points as the tight end one, he's producing about the same output as your wide receiver in seven, eight, nine, ten 
range. So it's like Matt kind of went to wide receiver here, which is a risk. Following that up with Saquon Barkley, who is a guy that just cannot stay on the football field. I mean, he was tremendous his rookie season, but he has not put together a healthy campaign since then. He's got durability issues. It's just really hard to, to really bank your running back core there. Continuing down the line, we've got Rodgers as your QB1. Okay, Rodgers is a two-time reigning MVP. However, in those seasons, he hasn't been a great fantasy asset. He's been okay. So you look at this at, at the super flex at the QB1 spot, the upside is limited. We know what Aaron Rodgers can be, where he's at in his career. He's going to be fine. It's just not exciting. It's not a weak winner. Safe floor, but just not a lot of excitement there. We've got Higgins to pair with Cup. I, I kind of like that pairing. I think that's fine. A.J. Dillon is, is very similar to how I, I spoke about Brandon Cooks. I like the player. I like A.J. Dillon. But A.J. Dillon, in my mind, is a flex. He's not a running back, too. So in Matt, at, at looking at Matt's roster, I see that he's missing an RB2 in my mind. And that's a big concern, especially when Saquon is your RB1. If we had a stronger running back one and A.J. Dillon is the RB2, I'd feel a lot more comfortable with this roster. Jumping down, we've got Tua. Tua is so frustrating. Uh, he's got all of the weapons he's going to need. If Tua doesn't do it this year, he's just not going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's a big risk to take, especially when you don't grab really good quarterbacks and then gamble on a Tua later. It's kind of like a, you know, you've got a, a steady Aaron Rodgers and you're taking a huge gamble. So Rodgers isn't going to be able to compensate for Tua if Tua does not produce. If Tua doesn't hit, Matt's going to need to shop for a super flex because that's going to be a huge positional disadvantage if his quarterbacks combined are only producing 30 points. I like Mooney. I like Kirk. I, I do like Ramondre and Naheem Hines. But again, there's just Ramondre has a path to taking over the New England backfield. Potentially that this works out for, for Matt, but we'll have to wait and see there. Again, just no RB2 on the roster. Limited upside with Naheem Hines. Limited upside with Robert Woods. We know what these guys are. For Matt to really take a competitive push, I think he's going to need Ramondre to win that backfield outright and start putting up RB2 numbers or you know one of these receivers exploding to the point where Matt can make a good swap. I just see a hole in this roster. I don't see really any way that hole gets filled outside of a Ramondre Stevenson breakout to make this team a lot more well-rounded. I, I understand your point, and I think it, it's probably important to note that this is the team that I believe you and I disagreed on the most. And I think that that disagreement all hinged mostly around the draft pick of Saquon Barkley. I know that you are out on the Saquon recovery, two years removed from the knee surgery. I personally believe that Saquon in a Brian Dable offense can reemerge as a, a if not a, a top five running back then absolutely a top 10 running back which is a running back one in our league so I feel significantly more confident in that selection of Saquon as his RB1 to go with Cooper Cup and Travis Kelsey who could both easily be the number one each of their positions respectively and the T Higgins pick as the wide receiver too I'm very high on T Higgins as well he had a higher target share than Jamar Chase last year and I'm not saying that he's going to repeat that again, but he clearly has the trust of Joe Burrow there in Cincinnati. And if I've learned anything as an Aggie fan, it's to never doubt Joe Burrow because he will make you pay. 
I personally like Matt's team a little bit more, but I think where we really differ is just that Saquon pick. If Saquon hits, I think Matt has a legitimate winning team if he can figure out the running back two position. So I guess time will tell. This this feels very dependent on on one or two players to to make or break Matt season. So diving into Ethan Wood's team. So Christian McCaffrey at the one two, followed by Jamar Chase at the back end of the second. The next four-pack is Tom Brady, Kyle Pitts, David Montgomery, and Matthew Stafford at the 6-9. DK Metcalf, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and Cam Akers come in at the 7-9 through rounds. Amari Cooper at the 10-9. Brandon Ayuk all the way at the 11-2. He finished out his draft with Michael Carter at the 12-9. Jacoby Myers at the 13-2. And the Baltimore Ravens at the 14-9. Full disclosure, we went ahead and put our draft board into Fantasy Pros just to compare our rankings to the so-called experts. And Ethan Woods actually graded out as the number one team via Fantasy Pros. Why he graded out as the number one team? I can only imagine it's because of his, quote, value picks or his steals. Using the Fantasy Pros algorithm, you would get a steal designation for players such as Cam Akers in the ninth or Clyde Edwards-Alaire at the 8-9. While he did get good value on the players that I just mentioned where he drafted them, I think he got value for the reason that these are all extremely risky players that are just off of other people's draft boards completely. Pair that with the fact that Christian McCaffrey is your number one running back. And there are some serious injury concerns with Christian McCaffrey. Two different injuries the past two years, I understand that. But people are worried about scar tissue buildup. People are worried about him just being, quote, injury prone. So having David Montgomery, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Cam Akers, everyone who has their own injury concerns or bust concerns, themselves paired with Christian McCaffrey it's just it it's not ideal at the the running back position as far as depth goes that being said Christian McCaffrey could make up for all of it if he's healthy all season and scores 25 plus points a game going to the receiver situation I know this is more of where RJ was concerned Jamar Chase at the 2-9 is an excellent pick it's great that Jamar Chase fell that far to him and that Ethan was able to scoop up that value Now, that being said, the wide receiver, too, is DK Metcalf with Geno Smith throwing him the ball in a Pete Carroll run-first offense. DK Metcalf might not be a human being, and he is a freak of nature. He just looks like a a crazy athlete, and he is. But all that athleticism can't overcome the fact that he does not have a good quarterback throwing him the ball. Amari Cooper, kind of the same situation where Amari Cooper is a great receiver. He's a good route runner, good hands, possession receiver. But you have Jacoby Brissett throwing you the ball. If Jacoby Brissett throws the ball at all, he may just run the ball 20 times a game himself because he he we don't know that he's capable of throwing. He hasn't proven it to us this far in the NFL, and I really don't expect him to to take a step forward at this point in his career. Brandon Ayuk, I think, is actually really good value as far as the receiver position goes at the 11-2. There are rumors that he's the number one guy in San Francisco. 
And if he's not the number one, then at least he's forming a great relationship with uh, Trey Lance. And he's certainly out of the doghouse compared to where he was at the beginning of last season, or he's out of the doghouse as far as we know. You never know with Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan seems to be about as moody as a seventh grade girl. We'll we'll have to see what if that situation ends up delivering the results that were kind of being promised throughout camp. As far as this team goes, it, it's very top heavy with McCaffrey and Chase and Kyle Pitts. And then after that, it there are values by ADP standards, but it's just not value that really makes me excited to, about the team that he drafted. So RJ, I just wanted to get your opinion on drafting for value versus drafting based off of going and getting your guy. It's a double-edged sword. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes a player falls because we've all listened to the same podcast. We've all read the same things. And these experts are down on this person for this situation, so on and so forth. But I mean, that's how guys like Jonathan Taylor fall a little bit last year. And if you're willing to take those guys, take the risks, take the value, if it works out, like that's what propels you to fantasy championships. When you get players that outperform their ADP at a great value, I mean, it just, all it does is help you. So that's the pro side. The con side is obviously there are reasons why we dislike guys. And a lot of the time, those reasons are well thought out and they are accurate. On this team, the example I kind of look to is Cam Akers. Cam Akers is coming off of an Achilles injury. When he came back from the injury, he didn't look good. He did not look good at all in the playoffs. He averaged 3.3 yards per carry. He fumbled consistently. He just didn't look like a good player. So yeah, he's a value in the ninth round. I get it. But Daryl Henderson's going in the 12th, and there's a good chance that this backfield is split 50-50. There's even you know a chance that Daryl Henderson is healthier and more of himself than Cam Akers is, and Daryl Henderson just takes the job. So at that point, it's like, well, yeah, you got value, but if Akers doesn't work out, you just burn a nine-round pick because you thought it was a good pick when there's significant questions around that situation. I think there's a time and a place for both. I think there's times where you can't ignore the value. And maybe that was the case here with, with, with Cam Akers. I, I know I'm picking on that pick and I just using it for you know hypothetical reasons, but sometimes you can't ignore the value and you just have to take the, the swing for it. And then there are other times where, yeah, you, you just go get your guy because you are more confident in the situation that they're in. Okay. So we will move on to the last and certainly the least team of this draft ranking season. Raj Landry, who drafted through a proxy of Blake's younger brother, Colin. I think what Raj put Colin through was like walking him out to a battlefield, handing him a grenade, pulling the pin, and then pushing him forward. Colin, I think, got put into a draft where there was no rankings provided for him. He was drafting in Superflex for the first time. He was drafting against uh, very seasoned and savvy drafters, and he didn't really have anyone to lean on as he was too close to, to my selection to ask me for advice. So given his situation, I, I don't know how much more you could have asked for from him especially given that the notes that Raj provided to Colin as far as draft strategy was maybe 10 words long. Okay, so let's go ahead and just walk through the team real quick. 
So Raj is picking from our Colin is picking from the 10th spot. I believe the instructions he, he was given were to go running back, then to go to quarterback, then to go to running back again, then to go to quarterback at that point, fill out the rest of the team and go tight and late. So just keep that in mind as we look at this first pick, we've got Najee Harris followed by Kyler Murray, Nick Chubb, Dak Prescott, Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, Josh Jacobs, Devonta Smith, Hunter Renfro, Tony Pollard, Melvin Gordon, Kenny Pickett, Noah Fant, and the Bucks defense. Now, I, I do believe I was a little higher on Raj's team than Jordan and Blake were. I, I understand Najee has bust written all over him, but what I think through, though, is that Mike Tomlin runs a one running back system. Najee Harris is clearly the number one running back there. He catches passes. I think Najee has got a floor. I know people are predicting the bust. I think it's a safe pick. I think I would have gone Dalvin Cook personally at that spot. I think I would feel a lot better if that was Dalvin Cook because we know Dalvin Cook. But all in all, I can't hate the Najee pick too much. I can't hate the Kyler pick too much. Kyler is a great fantasy quarterback. He's got the rushing upside. If he can stay off the call of duty, he could finish as the quarterback one. That's a big if. Going down, Nick Chubb. Yeah, Nick Chubb is just, he's so talented. He's just so talented. The dude's thighs are bigger than my head. Like, they're just massive. He can run through a brick wall. He just doesn't catch passes. He's playing on a what's going to be a bad offense for the first 11 weeks of the season. I don't mind him as a running back, too. But again, when we talk about Anaji with questions with predicted bust as like that marker, I mean, Chubb's got the same thing there. And so I don't like the pairing. Obviously, there are worse running back duos here in this in this league. I mean, it, I'd rather have Najee Harris, Nick Chubb than ETN and Ezekiel Elliott. So I think it, it is on the stronger side. It's just like a lot of people don't like these picks. They don't like these two guys. I wanted to emphasize the notes that Raj gave Colin because that's the, the advantage of being there for, for the draft is I think this pick here, the Dak Prescott one, is where things really go downhill for me. Because if that pick was a, like a, a strong wide receiver, this team looks so much different. And I, you know, Dak is going to be fine, but I think that Raj could have found value later at quarterback and shored up his receiver core by grabbing a Tyreek Hill, by grabbing a Michael Pittman, by grabbing a Mike Evans. There are guys there that could serve as that alpha wide receiver for him or a high-end wide receiver too that don't give me as much pause as a Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin as your wide receiver one is super concerning to me, especially with Carson Wentz throwing the football. I don't really like that pick. I don't mind Deontay Johnson as a wide receiver too. If you look at Deontay as your wide receiver one, then yeah, it's not great. I do like Deontay as a wide receiver too. He's a high floor guy. He's going to catch a lot of balls in between the numbers. So that is fine. I'm really out on Josh Jacobs. That team doesn't believe with, believe in him. They didn't give him his fifth-year option. They brought in people consistently. They played him in the preseason. That team just clearly doesn't believe in Josh Jacobs. Devonta Smith, it's, it's up in the air. If you believe Jalen Hurts takes a step forward with throwing, maybe Devonta is a good asset. But he's going to be the number two. A.J. Brown is the more talented receiver there. So you really need Jalen Hurts to be a 4,000-yard passer, a 4,500-yard passer to make Devonta Smith really into that wide receiver two territory. I do like Hunter Renfro. I think that is a good pick when I did like here. I like Pollard too, especially if the Cowboys are honest and actually play him in the slot and use him more as that hybrid role. Gordon is just a depth pick. There's nothing there. You're, you're 
hoping for an injury to Devontae. It's it's nothing, nothing special. Kenny Pickett, it's a weird pick. It's one I don't normally see. If Kenny Pickett takes the job, then yeah, that's cool. But realistically, when if Raj, if you're listening to this, you should probably drop Kenny Pickett and replace that with a player that's actually going to produce on your roster. I, I think I made this point earlier, but Noah Fant is the weakest tight end that we have here across the 10 teams. It's the worst tight end, which follows Raj's instructions perfectly. However, if, if this was a Cole Komet, I love it because I love the upside that I see with Cole Komet. I just don't see Fant doing anything. He, he's playing in Seattle. It's the same reason I don't love DK Metcalf as a wide receiver too. Geno Smith just isn't going to run that offense to the point where that that's going to be fantasy relevant. I think if I'm Raj, I'm probably going to maybe a Pat Fryermuth on the waivers and, and dropping Fant. And again, I, I don't blame Raj. None of this is to blame Raj. It's obviously a once in a lifetime thing that he got to go do. This is what happens when you, when you do like an auto draft or anything like that. I mean, it's happened to some of us. We've even had commissioners who have, have drafted in, in not so favorable spots. So it happens to us all the time. But this is just the prototypical example of not being able to adapt to the draft board. I think if Raj had been able to do that, this team would be a lot different. I don't think it's beyond recovery. I think there are opportunities that Raj will have to go out and get some solid wide receiver twos. I think that's what he needs to target is wide receiver twos across the board, get that wide receiver core as solid, and he'll be okay. But I do want to get your your take on this, Blake. I think we we were more critical, or you may have been more critical on a lot of these picks than I was. So I, I would like to hear just kind of your take specifically on the receiving core and Raj's ability to go out and find a receiver through waivers or trades versus maybe a Michael going out and finding a good solid running back. Why do you perceive that, you know, this is going to be a harder save, if you will, for Raj than Michael? That's a really good question. Looking at Raj's receiving core, it looks like he has a lot of potential wide receiver twos. And I don't, really see anyone here emerging as a wide receiver one maybe Deontay Johnson if that quarterback situation ends up being more favorable than we've initially projected but for the most part you see high wide receiver twos to mid-tier wide receiver threes on this roster now we discussed or as as you just asked about I think that when it comes to salvaging your running back core versus salvaging your receiving core, it's a little bit easier to salvage your running back core, in my opinion, because you have a workhorse running back that goes down, you know, one or two workhorse running backs that go down to injury or some unfortunate circumstance during the season. And it's really easy to predict who's going to fill that role whenever you're looking at your waivers and deciding where you want to invest your fab dollar or your fab budget. For example, last year in San Francisco, it was really easy to predict that Elijah Mitchell was going to emerge as the running back one in that offense. And RJ, you were the one that capitalized on that by investing a fairly large portion of your fab budget to going and getting Elijah Mitchell to address the hole in your running back position. Now, Elijah Mitchell was able to be a high-end running back two, low-end running back one on the season last year, which is exactly what you're looking for if you're weak at that position. You don't typically see wide receiver ones emerge off the waiver wire. Yes, you can find those guys, but typically when you're getting a guy off the waiver like that, they end up being 
another low end wide receiver two, mid tier wide receiver two, probably best case scenario. But if you're looking at Rogers receiving core, that's what he already has. He has a bunch of wide receiver twos and he can start probably three wide receiver twos a week. Going and getting another wide receiver two doesn't address the problem that he's currently facing, which is the fact that he doesn't have anyone to step in and really be that standout receiver that has the potential to go get him 25 plus points a game. So that that's really just where I see the the biggest difference in addressing your your running back needs versus your wide receiver needs. That makes a lot of sense. All right, fellas, that is our draft grade. Now, I know not everyone is going to be super pleased with the the grades they were were given. So, in the event that you have any complaints, any hateful comments, anything rude that you would like to say to Blake and I, please go ahead and direct all inquiries to Matthew B. 4513 at gmail.com and we'll get right back to you as soon as we possibly can and you know we just want to hear we encourage those messages actually so please send us all of all of your just mean comments because we want to take it someone's got to dish it out to us that's definitely the go-to account for the professional football league for all kinds of complaints, problems. If you need a small loan with 0% interest, that's a good place to go reach out to as well. And just like RJ said, we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Now, that being said, I appreciate you guys sticking with us through this podcast. This one's probably one of our longer, less, I don't know how you'd say, less fun podcasts because there's so much to, to digest, so much to go through with these rankings. We're going to go through the week one matchups, which is something we'll do on the weekly podcast. And we'll make it really brief this week. And as we go further on in the season, we'll be able to break down those matchups a little bit better for you. So matchup one, we got Watson versus Woods. This one is going to be an interesting one. Obviously, we're going to have some high-powered running back output with McCaffrey and Eckler. But if I had to pick here, I, I think I'm taking Watson. I know you can't really answer here impartially, Blake, but are you feeling you're feeling yourself here? I don't want to speak out of turn. I feel pretty confident just looking at the running back matchup, specifically the Aaron Jones versus Cam Akers matchup. That being said, it's never fun when you have to play against Christian McCaffrey, knowing that he could hang up to 40 points on you and and you wouldn't be surprised. So like I said, I, I definitely don't want to speak out of turn on that matchup. And I think it's probably best if I just avoid giving a prediction at all. We'll go ahead. We'll move on to Jordan versus Beischer. So looking at this matchup, this was one of our higher ranked teams, actually our highest ranked team versus one of the more middle of the pack teams. It's going to definitely be advantage Jordan in terms of running backs and receivers. You could argue it's, it's probably a push. I would personally go in favor of Jordan as well. And then where Matt really has the advantage, as he seems to have every year, it's at the tight end position with Kelsey. I just don't see that being enough to make up the difference in that running back and receiver advantage or the running back advantage for Jordan and the receiver push. So I think I'm going to go Jordan in this week one matchup. You know, I think I'm I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to take Matt and I'm going to do so because if, if Saquon is going to have a good week, if I believe Saquon is going to get injured at some point this season, I'm going to bank on Saquon to produce week one. So I'm going to go Saquon here. I think Saquon has a a big week one. I think that Cup comes out on fire. I think Kelsey scores his points. 
this isn't an indictment on, on Jordan's team as much as it's just like I think if if the cards are going to align for this team here, I think it's going to be week one. So I'm I'm taking Matt. Moving on to the the next round, two of our lower ranked teams. We have Raj versus Michael. Interesting quarterback battle with Josh Allen and Kyler Murray. How much Xbox has Kyler Murray been playing in these last few weeks? How much film has he been studying now that that clause has been taken out of his contract that requires four hours of film study a week? Who's to say? I think for that reason, I'm saying Josh Allen's definitely taking that matchup. And then, of course, we have the running back conundrums for both teams where it's Najee Harris and Nick Chubb against Ezekiel Elliott and Travis Etienne. This is one where we're definitely going to lean Raj, and I, I think that's probably about the only spot where we lean Raj because after that, my, Michael's team consists of Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Dallas Goddard, and then J.K. Dobbins, which there's just so much upside there. It's, it's really easy to see that being able to overcome any kind of disadvantage that Zeke and ETM may have to Najee and Nick Chubb. I just think that the, the receivers are too much. Michael, I think, will win in in probably blowout fashion, if I had to guess. This is week one. So when I think of what the Bills game plan and what the Raiders game plan is going to be, they're, they're going to come out here and they want to get the number one receiver started on a hot note. I think the, the double stack here pays off super, super well for Michael. I, I do think that, you know, what we saw last year with the Cowboys matchup against the Bucks. Now, you know, Elliot did not look good. That was likely Elliot's worst game of the season because the, the Bucks just have such a tremendous front seven. I'm really concerned about the running backs here for Michael, especially if Dobbins isn't ready to go. The running backs could leave a lot to be disappointed. I think the double stack's too much to overcome here. So I'm taking Michael, but I think this one is going to be closer than we think it will be. All right, jumping into our next matchup, we have our defending champion, Christian Risk against Drew Kulas, who has never won a championship. Couldn't be me. Looking at this matchup, this may be our most even matchup. This one will give you headaches looking at it either way. I would be very uncomfortable if I were Chris or Drew all week trying to figure out who you're going to start and sit because it could come down to just about any positional matchup that could decide this week. You have Herbert versus Jackson, which is likely a push. You have Swift and Connor versus Cook and Mitchell likely a push. You have C.D. Lamb and Brandon Cooks against Tyree Kill and D.J. Moore, likely a push. Darren Waller and Mark Andrews, I think that's the first time where you see any kind of advantage for either team, and you got to go Andrews in that matchup. But again, I, I don't know if that's necessarily significant enough. I think where the it's really going to be decided is in the flex positions. You have Bateman and Lance versus Gibson and Ryan. I just think that Lance against that Chicago defense is going to come out. Whether he's anxious or not, I think he's going to be running the ball a ton. And I just see that being too much to overcome for someone that's starting Matt Ryan, a pure pocket passer in their super flex position. So if I had to pick guns my head, I think I'm going with our defending champion, Christian Risk, to win this matchup. But look for this game to come down to the end of Sunday. Yeah, I'm also going to take Chris here. When, I, when I'm when i really looking at this team top to bottom, my biggest concern here is that Brees Hall is not going to be the number one running back in that Jets offense yet. It's going to take time for him to take that job, if he even does. If if Drew's rolling Brees out week one, that gives me enough pause to, to really go for Chris. 
Now, I think Elijah Mitchell could have a great week one because San Francisco is going to play the Bears. It's It should be a plus matchup for them. They should be running the ball a lot. But I think that's going to be counteracted by what Trey Lance is going to be able to do there. So the, really the question, Mark, for me is that Brees Hall kind of spot. Does does Drew start Brees? Does he you know maybe go Elijah Mitchell at the RB2 for week one? I don't know. Chris, I think, is the safer pick here. So I'm going Chris. And our final matchup of the week, we have our commissioner, RJ Beecher, going up against our Cinderella story every year in Douglas Fuller. So looking at this, what concerns me here is, or what intrigues me, I guess, is actually the super flex matchup between Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Both of them didn't really get off to hot starts in their rookie campaigns. So look for this to be a position battle to watch, not necessarily for this matchup in particular, but as far as an indicator for how each of their seasons will go respectively. I think both managers of their teams will take a lot away from from that positional matchup. Other than that, I think that the wide receiver depth for RJ is just too much to overcome for Fuller. Like I said, I'm a little bit lower on Debo. I don't think that Trey Lance is going to feed him the ball the way Jimmy G did. I think the fact that they're not using him in the run game is going to hurt as well. So give me Mike Evans and Mike Williams versus Debo Samuel and Jalen Waddle, and that being the difference in RJ versus Fuller. RJ, do you have any comments on this game? Yeah, I, I feel like every time I end up playing Blake, it's like I put up a solid, like I'll put up like a solid 140 this week, but Blake's going to drop a nice 168 on my head. And so that's kind of what I'm feeling for this one. I said it when we were evaluating the teams. Blake's team is very boom bust. I just have a, a sinking feeling it's going to be a boom this week and I'm going to take the L, but maybe that's modesty. We're going to have to wait and see. All right. Well, that is our very, very super abbreviated version of the weekly rundown. Like we said, most most times the podcast is going to be more focused on prior week matchups and the upcoming week matchups. It'll be less focused on individual roster breakdown and it will be significantly shorter than this. I want to thank you guys for sticking with us through this podcast. We'll go ahead and end it here for this week and we look forward to finally kicking off the football season and getting started with our 2022 campaign in the professional football league. So for RJ, this is Blake, your commissioner, signing off, and we will see you guys again next week.